It's exciting that uh, we talk about mission work and and uh, reaching the world. You know, that's the commission to the church is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Uh, I have the opportunity to go to uh, Columbia in November uh, with Gary Casey and some others, and we're we're not going to rough it. We're going to Medellin, and it's the nicest city in Colombia. <laughs> and we're going to do a, uh, a pastor's conference with the pastors, but that way we can uh, reach people through those pastors. Yes. And so Tammy and I would appreciate your, she'd probably appreciate your prayer for me, and I'd appreciate your prayer for her while I'm gone. Uh, and uh, if you want to partner with us, you can talk to Tammy. She'll tell you how to make that happen. Uh, but it's interesting. We need to reach the world. If we think about it, and I shared this last night in another group, that, that uh, there are 7 to 8 billion people in the world. About 3 billion of them have never even heard the name of Jesus one time. Mm-hmm. And so the world is in need in, of Jesus. And, and, and I'm thankful to be a part of, of, uh, of people, especially at Church on the Rock, where we can send people to the world. I mean, all over the world. So uh, we got a lot to do before Jesus comes back. It's it's not the Lord's will for us to just wait and sit around until he comes. Because the scripture never says that. I've taught it this way. Uh, He told us to go. I mean, two-thirds of God's name is go. (laughs) (laughs) And so we we can either go... We can either go physically or we can invest our money in people who will go for us. But somehow we need to reach the world. We're not just here to wait. I mean, I got born again, so I can just wait till I die. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. Uh, we've been called to preach the gospel to every creature. Now, let, let's be clear here for a moment. What are we talking about? What is the gospel? You see, we have this idea that the gospel is to get people born again and baptized. Is that, is that really what the gospel is? Jesus said this in Mark chapter 1. He said in verse 15, Mark is my favorite book in the whole Bible. Even, even when I'm not reading a verse from it, I love the gospel of Mark. And when Jesus, when he begins the ministry in, in the gospel of John, he says this. He says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. And then Jesus demonstrated the gospel by forgiving sins, healing sickness and disease, delivering the oppressed. The gospel is all of that. That's what the gospel is. The word gospel, the Greek word is euangelizo, and it means it means good news. The gospel is good news. Good news to the poor, you don't have to be poor anymore. Good news to the sick is, is you can be healed. Good news to the lost is you can be saved. You don't have to go to hell. Jesus came. In this passage, he said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. That, one translation says it this way. Jesus said, an epical event has occurred to the degree that there's an invasion from heaven coming to earth all you have to do is repent and believe the good news the epical event was what it was that jesus came that god became a man 
I love it. It says, the kingdom of God is at hand. That's the gospel. If anything is at hand, what does that mean? It means you can reach out and take it. If it's at hand, you can have it. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. We have the ability to reach out and take it. How do we do that? We do that by believing the good news. Simply believing the good news. That we're, the, jo the job of the church is to proclaim that to the world. Now the word preach here doesn't necessarily mean to stand like a public crier and proclaim it. The word preach here, there are different words for preach in the New Testament, but this particular one means to say as you go. Our lives are supposed to say Jesus is alive and you can have him. The kingdom is available and you can take it. Our lives are supposed to say that wherever we are. And whatever we're, wherever we find ourselves, we need to be proclam proclamators of the gospel in whatever we do. I mean, the early church, they really believed that was their mandate. I mean, they honestly believed they could win the whole world. I mean, think about when the Apostle Paul went to uh, Ephesus in, in, in Ephesians, I mean, in, in Acts chapter 19, and I mean, he preached the gospel to a handful of guys, and they reached all of Asia Minor with the gospel. I mean, it was a tremendous revival. They all, it says everybody heard the gospel because they really, really believed that's what they were supposed to do. I mean, they believed it with all their heart. They were accused of turning the world upside down. They really were turning it right side up. Because it's already upside down, and we know that. See, we, we have a desire to win our city. We have a desire to win our families. We have a desire to... to I mean, I have a desire just to win my workplace to Jesus, you know. We need to be people who have this desire to, to win them. And sometimes we, we, we see that it seems like it's totally impossible to accomplish it. Our desire is that the promise of God, in, that God has promised to us, be made manifest to us and then be made manifest through us. Whatever God has promised you, you want to receive that. Not We have the wrong idea that we want to receive it so, so we get blessed, and that's important, but we want to receive it so that it comes to us so that God can move through us to reach out into the world. It's one thing to believe for healing. It's a whole different thing to believe for healing so I can go do what he told me to do. Because I'm not going to get to proclaim Jesus if I'm sick in bed. Now, to those who come and visit me, yes, I can. But... You've got to have that happen first. You've got to be kind enough for people to come and see you. But, but we want to see that. Today, in today's church, there's kind of an attitude of entitlement. Has anybody noticed that? I mean, it's, it's, it's like, you know, they've been, they've been, the message, I don't want to be too critical of anybody, but the message that people are calling grace has been, has been uh, misinterpreted to believe that because of grace, there's nothing for us to do. It's all grace. Hallelujah. I'm just waiting for you, Jesus. Yeah. You just do something for me and that'll be, that'll be, that'll be wonderful, Jesus, because it, it, it's, it's your grace and we don't have to do anything. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 12. He said, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. 
And so what, what's happened is people have thought that means that, that okay, he's going to give it to me. I got nothing to do but just wait for it to happen. We, we've, been, we've thought that entitles us to something. For many, it means there's no need to fight a fight of faith because he's going to give it to us. Now think about this passage of Scripture. The same person said this also, the Lord Jesus. He said, the kingdom of heaven, this is in Matthew chapter 11, in case you want to turn, look at it later, at chapter, verse 12, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence mm -hmm. yeah. and the violent take it by, take it by force. He I didn't know. say the violent sit on the couch and watch football. I'm not against sitting on the couch and watching football. I'm just going to tell you something though. The kingdom of heaven isn't going to come to you through osmosis as you watch the football game. The kingdom of heaven, this kingdom that Jesus is talking about, we have to take it. It is a gift from God. It is a gift. Just like God gave Israel the land. He said, send you out some spies and let them spy out the land that I have given you. And they went to the land and they said, oh, there are giants here. They went back to the people and they said, you know, it is truly, truly a land that's flowing with milk and honey. It is wonderful, but you can't have it because there are giants there. The goal from God was for those people to go. He, he had to wait 40 years to get them there, but he gave it to them, but they had to fight because the devil wasn't letting go of it. God gives us the kingdom. The devil wants to stop us from receiving that kingdom. God wants to give it to us. I've, I've, I've actually preached this same message a few weeks ago in, in our other group. But it's kind of like when, when I was a little boy and it was my birthday. And my parents would give me my birthday present. Well, I had a little sister. And sometimes she decided that she wanted my birthday present too. And so I had to take it. So she wouldn't get it. And they'd be handed out. My sister would reach her hands out. And I'd grab it and say, huh, it's my present. They were giving it to me. But in order for me to receive it, I had to take it. The kingdom of God is ours. God wants us to have it. Jesus said that it is at hand. But we have to reach out and take it. We have to take it. It suffers violence. The violent take it by force. Today, in today's Christian world, many believers have never fought a fight of faith. Never had to. Never had to do that. Many Christians have fought, fought fights of faith in the past, but we're tired now. We're thinking, ah, I don't have to do that anymore. There's never a time that we don't live by faith. And there's never a time that we don't fight the fight of faith. I love it. Jesus told us, let me read you the verse, in Acts chapter 1, here's what he said. He, he said this. He said, But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be church members. <laughs> you receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you will be worshipers at all the services. 
and go home and talk about how good it was. No, Jesus said, you'll receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses. Now let's get past this little deal. Witness is not standing on the street corner handing out tracts to somebody. The word witness in the Greek is the word martus. We get the word martyr from it. The word witness doesn't mean you have to be a martyr either. But what the word witness means, the word martus, has to do with living a life with such passion that you will live or you will die, but you will live that life. You will be the statement, the testimony of who Jesus is. These apostles that, that followed Jesus, you know all of them died in, in some sort of a, of a violent death except for John. And they tried to kill John and just couldn't get, away, couldn't, couldn't get it done. But they were willing not just to die for Jesus. They were willing to live for Jesus every single day. That's what a witness is. We have been empowered by the Spirit of God to be witnesses to be men and women who, who, will, who will stand and live the victorious Christian life so the world can see it. And I'm going to tell you something. It works here. It works in Uganda. It works in Colombia. It works in Guatemala. It works in, 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 every, in India. It works in any nation on the planet because God's word is true. And I've seen it work all over the country, all over the country and all over the world. The, the kingdom is given to us, but we've got to take it by force. It's time for Christians to stop whining and start winning. Amen. Yeah. I just wonder how sick and tired do we have to be of being sick and tired before we do something about it? Before we fight the fight of faith. Before we do what we're supposed to do. The power is for us to be witnesses. That's who we are. I mean, it isn't just so we can pray in tongues, even though praying in tongues is going to get you the plan that God has called you to walk with. But we need to be people who live for God and our life makes is a testimony for Him. The Scripture says this. This is. I read this passage of Scripture one time. I, I don't know if I'd read it before or not. I, I, one time I was really sick. This was a long time ago. Very sick. And I decided before I died, I didn't, I didn't think I was going to die really, but I decided I was going to read the New Testament. I had never read the New Testament before. This is before our, our oldest older son was born. And I thought I'd read the New Testament. That was a good plan. I, I th and, and by the way, I've read the New Testament every year since then. I'm not bragging on me. I'm just saying it changed my life. I thought I think I might stay with it a while. I've also read the Old Testament every year since then because it changed my life. But I ran across this verse of Scripture. Tammy and I were absolutely broke. I had received a call from the doctor. I can't remember if this was before or after that. And the doctor called me at 6 in the morning, and he said, I need you to go to the emergency room now, and I will meet you. Because the, the test came in. And so we had nothing. Nothing. I mean, financially, we were a disaster. My health was a disaster. And I ran across this verse of Scripture in 2 Corinthians 2.14. It says, Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ. And I remember reading that verse of Scripture, and I remember thinking, wait. 
that is not talking about me. Either the verse is a lie or my life is a lie. I decided at that moment my life was lying because God can't lie. And I took that verse of Scripture, began to meditate, and I never heard about meditating in the Scripture, didn't know that's what I was doing, didn't understand the definition of it, but I began to read that verse of Scripture Every day, several times a day, I began to meditate in that. And I, be, I just remember being in a maze field and looking up to God and saying, either my life is a lie or your word is a lie, but I choose today to believe your word is true and the life is a lie. And I'm telling you, that verse turned my whole world around. Not in 24 hours. Not in 48 hours. Not in a month. But one day we looked up and our life was matching the verse because we chose to believe what he said. Here's the reality. We are anointed to win if we will not quit. The church is to be empowered with the spirit to the degree that the gospel is proclaimed in power either as we preach it or as we live it. I mean, Jesus said that signs and wonders would accompany the word. If we'll put the word in our lives, signs and wonders will accompany that. God said he would do it that way. The Apostle Paul said, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. He said it's not just words. There's power in the word of God. We have allowed the devil to run us for just too long. Anybody tired of the devil running them? It's kind of like this story. I don't know. I don't think I've told this here. Tammy and I were taking a trip one time. We're getting on an airplane. It's one of those little planes where you have two seats on one side, one on the other side, and a little aisle. You kind of got to bend, bend over while you're walking in the aisle. So we're going to our seat. It was near the back of the plane. And Tammy had booked our seats. And so we're going there. And she was in, they have A, B, and C are the, are, the, are the seat numbers. And I was in seat number B. She was in, not number, letter B. And she was in letter C when there was the aisle between us because we both were going to get an aisle seat in this really little bitty plane. So we're going down the aisle. And, and she is going to be in number C, letter C. I'm going to be in letter B. She walks down there. And when we get to our row, there's a kid sitting in her chair. Oh, he was probably 14 or 15. I don't know how old he was. By the way, Tammy had been an administrator at a Christian school. I don't know if she was at this time or if it was before that, but she would get to this where this kid is sitting in her chair, and she looks at that kid. I will never forget this as long as I live. She says to this kid, where are you supposed to be? And that kid began to scramble. He's looking at his, t he's looking at his, his little ticket, and, and he says, I I'm supposed to be in such and such, and she goes, that's over there. And that kid jumped up, got out of his chair, and got out of her chair and went to his chair. Now, I started laughing. I laughed the whole trip because, I mean, either Principal Tammy or Mama Tammy or whichever Tammy it was looked at that boy and said, where are you supposed to be? I think it is time for the church to look at the devil and to ask the very same question. Where are you supposed to be? Because it's not in my money. It's not in my health. It's not in my family. Where are you supposed to be? 
I'm going to tell you where you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be under my feet. So now get up and go. And so we, we need to get tired of being sick and tired. And we need to begin to tell the devil where he's supposed to be. What we've been called to is impossible. What I find over the years of being a pastor and, and, and counseling people is that most Christians are begging God to do something about what's going on. Begging God to do God, go oh God. They come and see the preacher, oh, help us. We've been begging God to help us. It's impossible anyway. They're begging God to stop all the ungodliness in the world. Praying prayers that are nothing more than a, a tearful rehearsal of the facts. Many people use their prayer time to be like uh, the news anchor, telling God what's going on in the world. Oh, God, this is bad. This is happening, and I can't believe they're doing this. And, I, and As if God didn't already know. And they're, they're, they're just rehearsing the problem to God. Instead of being men and women of God, who know how to say, where are you supposed to be? Not to God, but to the devil. Because God's where he's supposed to be. He's on the throne. Jesus is seated at his right hand. And the Holy Spirit is in the earth. And he lives in us. And he's empowering us. We need to be people who learn how to say, where are you supposed to be? It's like the story in the book of Acts, chapter 9. Jesus went to the Mount of Transfiguration. He was up there with Peter, James, and John. And you all remember that story. He got up there and, and he began to glow, you know. And, and all of a sudden Moses and Elijah appear with him up there. And, 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 and the scripture says they spake of his impending doom, uh, of his impending death, not doom, his impending death. And, and, they, and they, were, they were up there with him. And then all of a sudden the, the Father comes and, over, and, and the light shines and, and, and Moses and Elijah are gone. All of a sudden it's just Jesus. And, and the Father says, uh, this is my son, hear him. And the father goes, and, and they're just there with Jesus. And Peter's like, whoa, now what do we do? Jesus, he says, I tell you what let's do. We'll build you a tent. We'll build Elijah one. We'll build Moses one. And we'll just all come up here and have church all the time. And the scripture says he didn't know what he was talking about. Sometimes when we're believers and think it's cool, we just start talking. and We don't need to talk. And Jesus, you know, he just said, he said, you know what? Y'all tell everybody about this after, after I'm risen from the dead. And, they had, and, there, and the scripture says they had, didn't have a clue what he was talking about. They come down the mountain. They get down there and the disciples, the, the other nine guys, are trying to cast the demon out of this boy. And, and, and they're doing their best and it's not happening for them. They can't get the demon out of him. And so Jesus comes and he asks the father how long it's been going on. He tells him how bad it was and, and how, the, how that the demon would throw him into the fire and all these things. And, and, he, and, and then the guy says this. This is in, in Mark chapter 9, verse 22. He says, if you can do anything, do have pity on us and help us. That's the prayer that we pray. If you can do anything, if it be thy will, have pity on us, God. Have pity tonight. Jesus, I love this response. And Jesus said, you say to me, if you can do anything. That's, uh, he, I think Jesus is just, he's incredulous at this moment. You're saying to me, if I can do anything, 
Why, all things are possible to him who believes. Another, another, another translation says, the guy says, he says, he says, if you can do anything, help us. And Jesus said, if I can do anything, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. Let me ask an important question before I go any further. Is that true or not? I'm going to tell you something. Jesus is God. He said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Most of the time we are waiting on God to do something. And God is waiting on us to do something. Do you know that God will never do what he gave you authority to do? He's not going to do it that way. Jesus said all things are possible. The word possible, the Greek word is dunata. It comes from the Greek word dunatos, which means ability, power, one who is capable or able, one who is competent. It has the same root word as dunamis, which is supernatural miracle power. All right. The verse tells us that there is supernatural power available that will cause us to be capable, able, or competent for any task, no matter how impossible it is. Anything that God has called us to or promised to us, all things are possible to him that believes. It doesn't matter how unqualified you may be or were before. He didn't say all things are possible to those that are qualified. All things are possible to those who go to the right school. He didn't say all things are possible to preachers. He said all things are possible to him who believes. It's in the Bible. I'm not making any of this up. (laughs) When that power shows up, you're energized and you're made able for the task. When we believe the word, the impossible becomes possible. When we believe the word. That's what he's saying. All things are possible to him who believes. All things are possible to him who believes. The word him here is not the masculine him. It could be translated the person who believes. All things are possible. You see, when we believe the word, the impossible becomes possible. Because His grace, we talked about that for weeks and weeks. His grace, His favor comes to us by faith. What God wants us to do is believe Him so that the grace will come and empower us to do those things that are absolutely impossible. God wants that. He wants that for you. He wants that for the people that are around you. He wants His grace poured out through you on people who don't know. That's why, that's why, we're supposed to take the gospel. That's why we're supposed we are just we're supposed to have the gospel dripping off of us. And when somebody says, "What what is that?" Well, it's at hand. You could have some. Reach out and take it. But we got to reach out and take it first. See, when we believe the word, faith will dominate the circumstance. Just like Jesus. I mean, when Jesus was walking around He dominated sickness and disease. He dominated demons. 
when Jesus walked into the room, they started to tremble. They were the ones that were afraid. I've been in meetings before when the devil begins to manifest and the demons begin to, 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 to show who they are and the Christians are like, and they start backing up, you know, and they, they start getting out of the way. Can I just tell you something? The smallest child who will believe has authority over the meanest devil. Why would we be afraid of him? He's already been humiliated openly at the cross. He's a defeated foe if we will exercise authority. We've got to exercise the authority. See, we've got to do that. We must learn how to be the ones in control and not let the devil be in control. But we've got to believe God. We've got to believe what God said. See, we need to understand how to walk in the authority of God and see that His purpose is made manifest in the world we live in. Believing Him, standing with Him. Now, that's the introduction to what I'm going to talk about. And we'll get there next time. Here's what I want you to be. Let's leave here this way. Let's just be sick and tired of being sick and tired. And let's take a stand in the name of Jesus. It's time for Christians to get violent. Passionate about, about worshiping God. And I think, you know, a lot of us have that deal. But I mean, let's be passionate not just about worshiping Him. But be passionate about representing Him and allowing Him to flow through us. And let's put our foot down and say, no more. Stop it now. In Jesus' name. Some of us have been putting up with too much junk for too long. And it's time for, for somebody to finally say, no. Not another step. Not backing up anymore. In fact, I'm going forward from here from here on. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father, tonight we thank you for what it is that you've called us to do. You know what? I thank you that it's impossible. Because, it, because it's impossible, God, you get to do it. I simply believe you. And I put my foot down on the devil and say no more. Lord, there are sicknesses that we're going to talk to right now in the name of Jesus. We've been putting up with you for too long. And tonight we say stop it in Jesus' name. The name that is above every name that is named. We command you right now to stop it. God, we thank you for the redemption we have and the right and authority we have by the blood and through the name. And in Jesus' name, we give you thanks for the victory, the triumph that you've ordained for us to walk in. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me say this. I never said it's easy. It is a fight of faith. you got to fight it. But if you fight, you win. Amen.